with your with your your drive and ambition in the shill game, like you do have the tiger blood. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank it's like, you. Like I don't under, I don't think you understand. This man is dangerous. It's like he just does not stop. You're, you're, he's the fucking Terminator of product shilling. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he will. He will not stop until his listeners are dead. It's like he he, he does like two and a half hour ad reads. Like there is no show. <laughs> he just keep. They just like tail off into the next one. It just keeps going. <laughs> I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of March 2022, and it's once again that very special time in the month wherein we do our very special Tales from the Shelf episode. Uh, and in joining me in this endeavor, I have my good buddy Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast. How's it going, Brad? It's going great. Glad to be back and uh, talk about some Blu-rays. Hash it out a little bit with a fellow uh, collector. Oh, yeah. Always glad to have you, Brad. I'm so happy you're here to help me out with this ongoing project. Uh, folks at home, if you're not aware of what a Tales from the Shelf episode entails, uh, essentially what we're going to be doing here is just uh, swapping some war stories about our mutual film collections. As you can see, both Brad and I have extensive physical media collections. That would be DVDs, Blu-rays, 4Ks. Uh, and probably a few VHSs buried in an attic or a basement somewhere. Um, but anyway, uh, we're just going to be talking about our collections. But uh, Brad, would you care to introduce the the subject of this month's episode? Well, yeah, this was a suggestion by you. Good suggestion. Um, surprised I didn't think of it. Uh, we are doing dynamite documentaries. So uh, I don't know about you. Uh, I consider myself a bit of a dockhead. I, uh, I quite like documentaries, so um, I'm surprised I didn't think of this one. And maybe the reason I didn't think of this one is, uh, surprisingly, I, I don't own an, a lot of documentaries on disc. I, this has made me realize I should probably purchase more, uh, pulling them out of my collection here. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, actually, because uh, Brad and I were talking before the mics heated up, and uh, he pointed out that it seems like on-disc documentaries are becoming somewhat of a rarity. Uh, not not entirely so, but uh, due to the proliferation of streaming services and docu series and whatnot, it seems like fewer documentaries find their way printed onto discs these days. Um, but what's more, Brad, on top of that, um, I, I feel like you've you've brought up documentaries on previous episodes, which is probably why it took us this long to get to this particular subject, just because we we both have talked about documentaries fairly extensively on previous episodes. It's only just now that we're devoting an entire one to them. Yeah, that's true. I mean, definitely there's a couple of these where I'm pretty sure I already talked about them. Um, so I'm maybe going to try and highlight some of the ones that I haven't talked about in the past. Uh, and those maybe are the ones that I haven't, I am not as familiar with. Like I've, I've watched all these that I had. Well, actually, no, I take that. I have not watched all these. I've watched most of these that I have here. Um, 
But, uh, you know, it, it'll be interesting because even just, like, the rewatchability of documentaries, like, some documentaries are very rewatchable, but a lot of them are kind of like you watch it once and a lot of – you can be a great documentary and be kind of a one-and-done. Um, so I think that is another reason why owning documentaries on disc for me is uh, something that I don't do as often as, as I probably should. Yeah, I feel like you have a good point there. Uh, there are plenty of documentaries out there that maybe it's maybe it's their their density or something or there's some other quality about them that makes it feel like that was very, very good and very, very informative. However, I don't see it as something that I care all altogether all that much to, to have on my shelf. Um, but it's actually interesting because I, I had mentioned um, streaming services and whatnot being the home for a lot of documentaries these days and docuseries in particular. But um, another thing that Brad and I had talked about before the, the mics heated up was um, I've noticed that there's a lot of uh, crowdfunded documentaries for increasingly like niche subject matters um, that have started to pop up online and whatnot. And uh, due to these being crowdfunded and due to these being printed in a limited capacity, unfortunately, uh, they're kind of uh, kept behind a gate in the form of a high price tag. Um, so they're not readily available to, to large like mainstream audiences and whatnot, but because they're niche subject matter, all these niche groups tend to find them and, and flock to them. And as a result, like a, a few of these I've, I've found myself paying into, like I'll, I'm probably not going to bring it up today uh, in detail anyway, because I brought it up on many episodes prior, but uh, the In Search of Darkness a series of 80s horror documentaries um, they're up to their third entry, which I paid into. I've, I've actually paid into all three of them. Um, but the price tag for that was very, very high. Um, I also know that uh, Oliver Harper, uh, who's a, a YouTuber, a very, very talented one as well. Uh, he does he does like uh, mini documentaries slash reviews of films. Um, he's actually in the in the middle of putting out a uh, Street Fighter Two documentary uh, about the making and the and the the cultural impact of the the Capcom video game, um, but then there's there's many many other projects like that that exist out there that as I said they're really really interesting and they do I, I guess have some compelling qualities to them because they're collectible on top of being based around like really interesting subject matters but. Uh, I want to say it's hard. It's hard for people to find those those niche subject documentaries unless they're already invested in those things, um, which results in you know people not 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 being able to stumble across them the same way someone like just browsing Netflix could easily come across them. Yeah, and I I would have to think that with the you know availability of a lot of documentaries on streaming, I would think probably a lot of documentaries like on disc they probably don't sell super well because um, I like thinking about it like in terms of like the boutique labels uh, I think in th at least the ones I can think of at the big ones I think Criterion puts out the most documentaries on disc like they, you know they do a pretty good job of putting out docs and uh, spoiler alert uh, I will be highlighting several of those today um, even I think they're putting out uh, the Scorsese documentary The Last Waltz on 4K um, that's coming out so you know they're they definitely uh, understand the value of docs um, but you look at like uh, Shout Factory and Arrow and other boutique labels and I mean I'm sure they have put out docs in the past but I don't think I really own any and I can't think of 
any off the top of my head that they have put out. Whereas Criterion, I can think of at least three or four documentaries that they've put out that I don't own, um, let alone the ones that I do own. So at least they're uh, probably because they're like they're the big they're the big papas, they're the big daddies, so they can put out these documentaries and maybe they're losing a little bit of money on those docs who knows or maybe people are just buying it because of the brand but uh it's it's cool that they do that at least yeah that is very cool and like i, I hate to say it but more than likely documentaries uh, from a licensing and distribution standpoint they probably just aren't sexy i guess um like i don't i don't see people scrambling out to 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 buy those in droves uh, the same way they would like I don't know some some other licensed title that that has like a, a name brand or something associated with it, um, but it's a it's a lovely format. Um, it's one that apparently I really really like because uh, I was shocked by how many I have on my shelf. Although I will uh, put a little caveat with that, saying that um, there are a couple of like literally a couple of subjects that completely dominate my, the range of my documentaries on my shelf. Okay. Uh, but we'll get into that when we get into it. Uh, how about you, Brad? Did you notice like any recurring subject matters across the documentaries in your collection? Uh, there's a, at least a fair amount. To, well, a handful of true crime, which, you know, is the big thing. But uh, I, I do love a good true crime documentary. I, there's no denying it. So there's, there's some of that. Um, and I, I, I like a lot of, uh, n- not just like straight talking head documentaries. Like, uh, a couple of these are like very much like in the moment of the moment, like following a subject while events are happening and not just like, you know, an info dump or a, a talking head, just him talking about his life or whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, there's definitely different ways that you can approach different subject matters. Um, and I guess, yeah, for me personally, I think I prefer movies that have interesting subjects rather than just like give you a lot of information. Um, like something that just is like, you know, an info dump kind of can bore me. And those are the ones that where it's like, maybe I'll watch them, but I don't think I would ever purchase them and watch them again and again and again. Whereas something where there's, an interesting person at the like at the subject of the film um that's something where i could go back to because that person is an interesting character that you like to spend time with potentially it's a very good point like a a narrative documentary has a very different has a very different like appeal to it than a purely informational documentary like I, once upon a time i did watch ken burns's civil war and baseball documentaries I have no desire to watch those again or have them occupy a space on my shelf. They were mm-hmm. very interesting. I learned quite a lot, but it's not a display item. It's not something I'd put on my coffee table like to invite yeah. people over and have them see or something. It's not sexy is what I'm getting at, but something with more of a narrative to it, like a like a grizzly man or something. Um it's it's more like watching a traditional narrative film or something like it it's documenting the life story of a person rather rather than just like throwing information at you anyway uh we should probably get into our picks uh so being as it's my fucking show i'm gonna throw brad right under the bus uh and ask that he of course be the first uh, person to show off one of his picks so brad what you got bud well uh since i have several uh, documentaries in the Criterion Collection here. I'll start with one of them, and I don't think I've talked about this on the show before. I could be wrong, 
Um, but uh, I have a documentary which is directed by, let me, I believe there's three directors, if I can find them on here. Um, not going to find them on here. Never mind. I'll just say the movie. It's Gimme Shelter, the Rolling Stones uh, concert documentary. Oh, here it is. It's on the front of the, it's on the front of the Criterion. It's directed by uh, David Mazels, Albert Mazels, and Charlotte Zwerin. Um, I know the Mazels, they've collaborated on stuff before. Uh, Charlotte Zwerin, I can't remember if she, if this is the only movie she did with them. But anyway, this is a movie that chronicles the Rolling Stones in 1969 um, on their tour. And it ends with a big concert at um, the uh, Altamont Speedway. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this concert, but it was uh, basically a little bit of the Woodstock 99 of its time. Um, so there weren't people, you know, rolling around in the shit from porta potties. But what happened was they hired members of the Hell's Angels as security, and uh, it didn't go too well. We'll just say that. And it does end in a uh, pretty shocking moment. So everybody says that the Altamont Speedway concert with the Rolling Stones is essentially like the antithesis to Woodstock. So Woodstock. I, I, Woodstock was a 69 as well. Am I, is that right, or is it 68? Uh, it could be 68, but I can yeah. look it up for you if you'd like. It, it doesn't matter. They were both <laughs> close to the same time. Um, hey, we're not, we're not taking any tests today. Uh, so basically, you know, Woodstock was all peace, love, harmony. Um, and the, what happened at the Altamont Speedway is much more dark and sinister, and there were some deaths at the concert, and... One of the uh, things that happens in this film is uh, Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones are on stage. And while they're on stage, these fights break out right in front of them. And uh, eventually what happens is one of the members of the Hell's Angels acting as security uh, kills one of the people involved in the fight. And it's captured right on camera. And what what I love about this movie is it's incredible how it goes from... Basically, just them following on the around the Rolling Stones doing a concert documentary to watching this happen and them quickly realizing, like, hang on, we need to stop filming the Rolling Stones. We need to change focus here because something very important is happening in front of us. And it completely changes the documentary. Like, what they thought this movie was going to be when they started filming it is completely different from where it ends up because it ends up very sad, very dark. Um, and people say that like that moment in that concert is sort of like the end of the hippie era, the free love era, I guess. Um, but even beside that, like I, I love the Rolling Stones. So, I mean, even if this was just a Rolling Stone concert documentary, I'd still probably like it quite a bit. There's some incredible performances. Um, awesome moment where you watch them listen to their uh, a f- like finalized recording of Wild Horses for the first time. You watch the band listen to that. So there's a lot of great moments in terms of being a music documentary, but it also transitions at the end. And uh, it's just uh, great to watch how Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones are trying to deal with the crowd while the the crowd is just out of control. And uh, it kind of ends with an iconic moment where they uh, show Mick Jagger the footage of the guy getting killed in front of him like after the concert and that's kind of how it ends and his reaction to it um so yeah it's a, it's a one of my favorite documentaries uh, i think i've seen it at least twice maybe even three times which you don't say too often about documentaries honestly so 
definitely uh, Rolling Stones, Gimme Shelter. Check it out. Yeah, you have brought this one up before, Brad, and like, damn, it, it sounds like a very impressive piece of filmmaking. Uh, it seems like you're absolutely right. Like, like they made a conscious decision to like have a hard pivot uh, in the edit of, of the film where it's like, oh, wait, something much, much more important than a mere concert is, is unfolding before us, and we happen to be documenting it right now and not really in a position to intercede. Um, and as such, they kind of cut around that and pay respect to to the event that's unfolding. Um, I really, I really need to see this uh, because not only do I have a fascination with the era, and I wouldn't mind seeing a Rolling Stones concert, um, it also, it also just seems like a very powerful piece of filmmaking. In particular, you you highlighted the uh, or spotlight the the ending um, as being very poignant and. Uh, I'd very much like to see that for myself because just hearing you describe it sounds sounds very powerful and very fascinating. But um, it, I mean, there's a reason it's in the Criterion Collection. And uh, by the way, you were absolutely right. Uh, 1969 Woodstock, um, and it's kind of funny that you say it's the uh, it's supposed to be like the antithesis of or the the parallel, like the dark half to to Woodstock in some ways because um, I think pretty recently they. Like on HBO, they put out the Woodstock '99 documentary, uh, which I have mm-hmm. not watched myself, but I, I was alive, you know. I I, re- I read the news articles and stuff. That was a total fucking shit show as well. So, mm, uh, maybe maybe that's also like a 30 years after the fact antithesis to the to the same thing. Yeah, I guess I'm a, I'm a fan of watching concerts and events uh, spiral out of control. Uh, cause I, I liked, I, I did like that Woodstock 99 documentary and, uh, the, the fire festival documentary on Netflix was another, uh, very entertaining watch. Um, so yeah, this one, I haven't watched it in a while. I, I should go back to it, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely got that element to it. It's kind of interesting. Cause, um, I, I, I wouldn't think that this had any bearing on it because the movie, was very well thought out and seemed to have its own agenda but um just given the time period i can't help but think of uh the concert scene in uh, apocalypse now um because that just degenerates into just utter savagery and chaos and it goes on and on and on and on mm-hmm. and it has almost like a documentary kind of feel to it where it's just we're, we're just like flies on the wall just watching this unfold and it, you're just helpless to do anything about it as it continues to escalate um but yeah, there is there is like some sort of weird weird appeal about a, a an organized event just utterly falling apart. Um, I, th- I think it's I think it's because it has that that very dramatic narrative arc of like the best of intentions and then the most awful of outcomes. It's very poetic in a in a hideous sort of way, but it's it's attractive because of it. I mean, there's literally, I mean, if you wrote, if this was a written film, you would say, oh, that's too on the nose. Like Mick Jagger is literally on stage and they keep having to stop the performance because people keep breaking out in fights and he keeps going, why are we fighting? Why are we fighting? And if like it was not real life, you'd be like, oh, who wrote that? It's too on the nose. But it's like, so it's so perfect in this. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, I come on. I, I love, I love Mick Jagger and I love Stones, so it's even got that going for it. This documentary rocks. <laughs> no, it sounds absolutely excellent. But yeah, that 
also like psychology of crowds too is something that like when you when you see it like big as life and twice as ugly it's it can be kind of terrifying in its own way Uh, so it's like huh i didn't expect this documentary to turn into a fucking horror movie out of nowhere but it still works (laughs) it's still it's still amazing and i i hate to say it but it's still like relevant today with uh what happened at that travis scott uh concert i mean it's kind of crazy that like in like 50 years time we still are having issues with this and i don't know maybe these things need to be maybe organized better because this one certainly at least i i I can't speak for all the other ones like uh but the rolling stone concert at the altamont speedway uh like they kind of get into this in the film a little bit just like having members of the hell's angels as security kind of uh was you know caused some issues and they were kind of like oh yeah that'll be it'll be all be good like just not really thinking about the worst possible outcomes yeah it it's shocking what like i forget where i heard it but it's like people are smart but like droves of people are quite dumb like in in the incorrect circumstances like things things devolve into instinct and all it takes is not having the proper context or 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 just being put in the wrong position amongst the wrong people and then all of a sudden you have like a a small scale war breaking out in a crowd where it's just like hey he hit that guy it's like not not really it was it it wasn't what you thought it was but we're taking sides and it's all happening too fast and oh riot (laughs) it's like that's that's (laughs) that's it then why are we fighting (laughs) why are we fighting it's like shut up and yeah. dance Mick. <laughs> like, <laughs> like just just get to the end of the set man <laughs> uh but yeah thanks for sharing that one brad i, I yeah. really do need to check that one out um the girlfriend gifted me a, a criterion channel uh subscription so Ooh. i'll have to see if it's if it's on online because uh, i'd very much like to watch that um yeah plus, I plus mo- like you I, I like i like i like the rolling stones anyway so it yeah it, well, just I mean, for the concert could be fun who are we picking stones or beatles oh stones i have no connection to the beatles like whatsoever good call good like, call like, bud in fact it's almost embarrassing <laughs> like, like i like there's i know a handful of beatles songs just because it's ubiquitous like it, it's just through osmosis you just absorb certain things but i've, I've just never really latched on to them uh stones though like my, my dad liked the stones we we had the stones in the house every once in a while yeah no 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 contest for me good choice uh, good answer <laughs> brad was about to dip out of the call <laughs> you like the Beatles? no they're, they're all right but the stones are better okay well huh where does that leave me i guess my pick um because i i don't have anything comparable to that like i don't have any criterions nor do i have any concert or music related uh docs so i'm i guess i'm gonna do like brad had done and spotlight something i've spotlit uh previously um because more people should watch this um but uh i the the origin of this one i i guess could be called into question to some degree it's like is it a doc i don't actually know i still don't know to some extent but anyway uh this is actually a a film that uh kyle and i did an entire episode of catching up on cinema on and that is kung fu elliot uh, which Mm. is a wonderful canadian documentary maybe i'm not entirely certain 
Um, this is directed by uh, Jarrett Beliveau and Matthew Balkman, uh, a pair of directors. And uh, Brad, I don't know if you listened to our episode on this one, but basically uh, this is the story of this fella here, Elliot, um, who claims uh, to be a uh, like martial arts action movie star, Canada's biggest martial arts action movie star. Um, and Jean-Claude Van Damme is his, his inspiration, Steven Seagal, Chuck Norris, all all the white karate guys out there from from that era that he was he was raised on. Um, and the documentary is a very familiar story of a, uh, a documentary crew following him around, uh, having heard of him through his, his local reputation up in Canada. Um, apparently, like, some of his movies were, are available at, like, mom and pop stores in, in his local neighborhood and some, or something or other. And, like, he was published in a newspaper article of some sort. And that's supposedly the story of how this professional documentary crew came to follow him around um it's basically just an examination of his life over a period of x number of years or whatever um and a series of vignettes about him uh his past uh his his uh live-in girlfriend uh his best friend um and then a lot of behind the scenes footage of him filming one of his one of his quote movies um now the re- I I hope I'm not completely spoiling this thing here, but um, apparently there's rumors that this is all a, a elaborate gag, um, that this is not a documentary. I would not be surprised if that's the case. However, I think it's a moot point uh, because as a piece of filmmaking, as a narrative, as a story, uh, it's utterly compelling. Um, it very similar to yours. It has twists and turns in it, very unexpected ones uh, that that pop up at very critical points in the story that really lend it a lot of punch. Um, but on top of that, it's just it's a bunch of strange people that when you put when you put them on camera and just let them go, uh, you get some gold <laughs> out, of, out of your time spent with them. Um, I found this to be very very fascinating. Um, I sought it out. Uh, a very long time ago, like when it first came out. It's not that old, actually. It's probably from 2014. Yeah. Uh, Garage Doc Films, by the way. Um, from 2014, um, I remember catching wind of it early on via one of my martial arts movie news sites, uh, either City on Fire or Film Combat Syndicate, or maybe even Twitch Film from back in the day. Um, and when I read the tagline, I was like, yeah, I'm in, and I, I hunted it down. Uh, eventually, I bought a this Blu-ray uh, direct from Garage Doc Films. Um, I don't know how widely available it is. Maybe it's collectible. I don't fucking know. <laughs> but I liked it enough that I watched it via a streaming service initially and then was like, I have to have that on my shelf because I've seen it minimum three times um, and would be very, very happy to watch it a fourth and a fifth. Uh, this is... This is going to be the beginning of a recurring subject on this episode because <laughs> um, documentaries, uh, movies about making movies are one of my very favorite things. Um, and documentaries about the filmmaking process, even on the on the lowest of scales, like, like on the no budget level. In fact, even especially on the low budget level, the no budget level, in fact, I find endlessly compelling. Uh, because I can't help but project myself into the picture a little bit. There's a reason why Tim Burton's Ed Wood is one of my most favorite and most watched movies of the past 10 years or so. Um, I It's like my happy place. Uh, that and American Movie. 
the two of those, uh, whenever I find myself in a creative rut, those are the, the movies that pop into my head. And if I have a TV and a Blu-ray player nearby, it gets put on. Um, but this is one that uh, you, you, it's hard to watch passively because it, it demands your attention. Um, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed this and I would highly encourage uh, anybody who's interested in my description of it uh, to, to just run out and watch it because uh, it's 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 a very fascinating and well put together doc if it is a doc yeah I it sounds <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it sounds like something I'd be into I, I the subject matter sounds interesting and you kind of made me start thinking like because I was like man I feel like there are I've heard I've seen and heard of other movies like that where it's docs and are they real or are they not and I did a quick Google search I, I came up with uh, the Joaquin Phoenix movie I'm still here um, I mean that's pretty much been debunked it's not a doc but at the time I remember when I watched it people still didn't know I think when I watched it people were kind of like yeah it's pro- it's pretty much fake but they weren't 100% sure um, so that that's another one that kind of falls into that zone I don't know I can't think of any others other than like you know like the horror like Blair Witch Project but um, ones that are more traditional documentaries that could or could not be fake yeah, what was the uh there was a 90s horror movie that it was um it was a he had a, a I think a female first name but it's a it's a slasher movie but it's uh the framing device is it's a documentary following a wanted wannabe slasher. Mm. Uh, I watched it a while ago. I can't I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but I'll have to look uh, it up. Uh, Behind the Mask, I, Leslie Vernon, yes. I think. Leslie Vernon. Thank you. Thank you. I've never seen it. Uh, it's, it's not as good as it could be, yeah. um, but it came out, it came out early enough that the novelty factor was exceedingly high. Um, it's actually kind of funny because I remember being in college and my roommate coming up with an idea that like on paper would be exactly the same fucking movie that they made. Although, uh, you know, the internet wasn't what it is today. So I don't think he was aware of that at the time that a film like that existed, but uh, the novelty factor is very, very high because because of its presentation. Um, it doesn't give you everything that you want. The slasher component of it is actually not great. Um, I was really hoping for a little bit more gore, but it's it's evident that it's an exceedingly low-budget film uh, in some ways. Um, but it's well-acted for the most part, um, and the concept, I think, gives it a lot of its legs. Um not not as good as it could have been, but I'm really glad that it exists, and I did enjoy watching it. So yeah, maybe maybe give it a look sometime. But that one is is framed as a fake documentary, but it's explicitly like made clear like this is a movie. Um, but part of the appeal for for me with Kung Fu Elliot is like yeah, I, I have read an article or two suggesting that it was all just like a big gag or something that it was all fabricated. But at the end of the day, I. I do not care like it it's as a piece of filmmaking it's compelling regardless of whether it's real or not um so i i would encourage you to watch it either way but um yeah like i said i don't know how readily available it is these days like i haven't because i have the blu-ray i haven't checked if it's on streaming services right now or if like the blu-ray is in print anymore but um definitely Mm -hmm. run out and 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 take a look at it uh, because it's it's very unique I think another one that I was thinking of, it's a little different, but I've just uh, heard some people talk about it in the last few months, is uh, Close Up, the uh, Iranian film, um, which 
I, I I did not know what this was about. I don't know if you heard of it, but it's basically like a true story, and uh, it has it's like a fictionalized retelling of this true story, but it has the people involved in the true story play themselves. And I think like there's some elements that are actual documentary, like it does involve a trial. And I think the trial is actually from the trial. Like that's real. But then some of the stuff that happens before the trial, like that's all recreations involving um, the people playing themselves. But there's never like any disclaimer, like, oh, this is a recreation. This is real. Like it's all like blended together to make it seem like you're watching, I I think, a a real documentary. Um, so that's an interesting mix and I, I haven't seen it, but, uh, that's, uh, one I've heard really great things about. Yeah. Wow. I hadn't heard of that one, but that, that sounds fascinating. Like it sounds like just from a presentation standpoint, it could be really interesting to take a look at. Mm-hmm. It, and the guy pretends to be a filmmaker. So there's a little bit of, uh, making a film in there as well, I think. So this could be right up your alley. Yeah. Uh, you're selling me on it, Brad. So I'll have to take that. I mean, it, like like you said, it, if if it veers into that territory, my my eyebrows go straight up to the ceiling, and I'm like, ooh, that could be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, that's enough of Kung Fu Elliot. Uh, what's your next pick, Brad? All right, I will uh, mention because I did say that I had I I tend to like true crime, um, and I guess the last one was true crime to a certain extent. I mean, it involved the murder. Um, which is a crime, and it actually happened, so it was true. So I guess it was true crime. Um, but this one's a little, this one's a little more of your traditional true crime. And this is this one is actually a series. And I don't know if I, I may I've probably talked about this. I don't know, but it's probably my favorite true crime series, and that is the Jinx, the full t- the Jinx, the life and deaths of Robert Durst. So this film, uh, this show, came out on HBO back in 2015, somewhere around there. This kind of was, certainly was not the first true crime series. Um, You know, The Staircase beat this one to the punch. But I think this one, I know it came out before Making a Murderer, which I think that was one of the ones in the recent boom. Like, that one really took off, and everybody was talking about Making a Murderer. This one came out before it. And I think this is, I think it's better, personally. Um, it's the story of Robert Durst, who uh, recently passed away. Um, he, I mean, he is a murderer, so I don't know if I should say rest in peace. I don't know uh, what's what's courtesy <laughs> for that. But uh, he's, he's this guy who's a, a rich millionaire billionaire, and he is involved in a bunch of deaths. Uh, his wife dies under mysterious circumstances um he and then uh one of his best friends dies under mysterious circumstances and i think there was one other death that he was connected to what's interesting about this documentary series it's directed by andrew jarecki and is that andrew jarecki made a fictionalized version like a, a fictional film about robert durst and these deaths and these murders and it starred Ryan Gosling, Kirsten Dunst. I think it was called uh, All Good Things or something like that. And it was, you know, it was a fictional retelling of the life of Robert Durst and these crimes he committed. And apparently, after watching that film, which does pretty definitively say that Robert Durst murdered these people, 
Robert Durst said he he contacted the director and he said, I love the film so much, I want to sit down for an interview. And Robert Durst says, all my lawyers say not to talk to you, but I love your film so much, I'm going to sit down and talk. And it's this kind of thing where, like, why, if, if this guy, which it's pretty much been 100% determined he ha- he did commit these murders, why would he reach out and talk to this guy? It's, it's crazy. And I don't know if, have you heard what happens in the end of this uh, series? I think it's been spoiled for me. Something about a recording still running or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it is. It is one. Of, it is amazing. It is one of the best endings of a. It's so per. It's again. It's so perfect. Like if you scripted it, you'd be like, "That would." There's no way that would happen. There's no way he'd think his mic was. He'd forget his mic was on and go in the bathroom and say all that. Like, but it's it's crazy and it's like it's creepy and it's like honestly the perfect ending and that's kind of like the weird moments i like and honestly robert durst he's a terrible person but he is a fascinating figure for a documentary like just listening to him talk and explain all these things he did it is just so compelling um i think it's a really well directed documentary that you know it's a lot of interview with robert durst and then recreations um and gotta love everybody talks about the moment in the bathroom where he leaves his mic running but even better is when the director like confronts him with this evidence that basically proves that he murdered these people and robert durst just starts burping he just can't stop burping. <laughs> just he just un, like keeps uncontrolled and it's just like he's, he's like kind of like dry it's like so weird and like it's just it's amazing so well well hang on i mean there's that documentary you've brought up on the show a couple times at this point uh on tales from the shelf uh at what was it? it was about um indonesia i believe yeah yeah um, that's, that's you, another you said one there, you said there was that moment where the the guy started retching yeah he starts dry heaving mm-hmm. exactly uh maybe it's similar to that where just the the crushing weight of guilt and reality bear down on him instead of dry heaving he starts belching yeah he just starts like burping. It, it expresses itself physically you know yeah, I, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I, I'm sure I put those two together, but I, I kind of forgot about that one actually. Yeah, what was what was that called again? That's the act of killing. Thank you. Yeah, folks, folks at home, the act of killing. Uh, according to Brad, uh, excellent documentary, and apparently there's a follow up to it as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if that one ever got a Blu-ray release. The other one's uh, called The Sound of Silence, I think. And that, that's also <laughs> they, a they can look Gar- it up. They, that's they also a Google. Simon and Garfunkel song, right? Am I going crazy here? Sound of Silence? Yeah, or maybe it's yeah. the look of silence. Fuck, I don't know, man. Anyway. Um, yeah, the- it, 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 all these movies. Can you remember a fuck? <laughs> can you remember one fucking doc? <laughs> Too busy watching Raul Julia in Street yeah. Fighter from 1994 <laughs> to, to remember things like that. But Yeah, hey, well, you know. The- <laughs> a lot of info no, stored really up here. Though. Yeah. yeah, you and me both, but. No, that that's a really fascinating one, and I didn't actually know that it's an HBO uh, doc, which mm-hmm. I happen to have an HBO subscription. Oh, check this uh, out then. Yeah, uh, so it it didn't occur to me that it might be available there uh, still. So I will have to watch that because you've talked it up numerous times, and uh, I I would very much like to check that out. That sounds utterly fascinating. Um, where where is Mr. Durst from, by the way? Because that 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 accent you put on, it's like, is it Ohio or Wisconsin? When, no, like... <laughs> I, well, I, I don't know if he's like originally from here, but I believe he uh, is based in New York. Um, 
So, but he's got a weird voice. I don't know. His accent is. I probably do. I probably I mean, butchered you, you it. You made but. it sound like he's from Punxsutawney or yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> I probably butchered it a little bit there. But well, I hope he he's sounds got an interesting like how voice. You did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, like he's dead now. But uh, if you want to, if you want to laugh, because he did end up going to prison, and that was one of the things. I think they arrested him like the night the final episode aired, or the night before the final. So it was kind of like. I mean, it's perfect timing I mean, for HBO. Like, wow, they really. But um, there's uh, some amazing photos of him in prison with his prison gang. Um, highly recommend checking it out. He, I mean, I it sucks, but it seemed like he was kind of having the time of his life in prison. Like he was these pictures that we see. He is loving it with these guys. He's like, like it looks like they're posing for an album cover. It's amazing. <laughs> well, I hate to say it, but like you said, it sounds like he had a personality on him and that probably being the funny guy in the yard probably goes a long way towards keeping you from yeah. getting punched you know <laughs> so yeah uh i mean he's dead now <laughs> and, and he's yep. left me in charge uh, <laughs> but, but not to totally derail us brad and I, I hope our connection isn't too rough for you or anything but um true crime what what is up with true crime? Because it's it's not something I've personally gotten on board on board with. Maybe because I'm contrarian and I'm frustrating in that way. Um, but I've noticed that uh, Hulu uh, lately and even like network television have been, really been getting on the. Uh, I want to say this is in response to like Breaking Bad, but we've been seeing a lot of like white collar crime or like fraud cases yeah. get, oh, get docu-series and yeah. adaptation series like i'm looking at you uh the dropout and things like that yeah um any just any and all thoughts on the subject brad because it I'm, trends are fascinating to me but i i don't especially have my my finger to the pulse these days so i'm just curious if if you have any insights that maybe i'm missing out on yeah i don't know i'm the the fact that yeah we have so many like uh the white collar crime series like other there's the um the Theranos one, uh, the Jared Leto and Anne Hathaway, the WeWork, they have a, sh- a series that not that's a fictionalized retelling of it um, coming to Apple. Uh, so I don't know that like that's that is interesting. And I think it is kind of like a little bit of like the true crime popularity, but maybe they're trying to make something that's a little less uh, salacious and a little, you know, even though they did commit crimes, it's a little lighter, I guess, because like people aren't actually getting like murdered in cold blood um and a lot of it is just seems like it's like okay here's a white collar crime case that made headlines and oh amanda seyfried looks a lot like her well let's make a show why not uh, so um but yeah that is an interesting trend like right at this moment there are quite a few of them yeah i i want to say this could be reaching a little too far but um i want to say maybe there's some connection to reality television as well <clears throat> not not in terms of subject but in terms of the way it's produced because you yeah like writers are there aren't that many good writers out there um and and crafting uh like hand crafting a narrative like just just from scratch is difficult which is which is why adaptations are such a huge part like they're a huge pillar of the film industry of hollywood in particular so yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that's part of the appeal as well, where it's like, well, I mean, all the facts are laid out. Like, like we don't need to craft a narrative. Like, we already have it done for us. We just need to fill in the details 
and get the performances right and then the story's already guaranteed to be compelling just just look at the chart like look at the statistics like all these podcasts are being listened to about this very <laughs> subject it's it yeah. is known that people will show up for this thing and it's also the thing where you know it's crazy to think how many weird and just crazy crimes there are and like the stories where it's like oh i can't believe what i'm watching and it's like you know they can get away with that because like well look this all actually happened like you know it's not like they have to uh, embellish a lot of stuff like a lot of these stories are crazy um so there's that to it as well yeah and then you have fargo which is fabricated you know it's just like we we wrote a damn film we made a damn film and then you have tiger king and stuff that's like well we just we made a documentary and it's it's no crazier it's probably equally as crazy by the way isn't that getting a show as well i believe it already did or it the episodes are releasing currently i don't know that that was they they missed the boat on that one i can tell you i don't know anybody watching that show it looks terrible um like they cast kate mckinnon as the carol baskin character and it just makes it she's from saturday night live so it just makes it seem like a goofy snl sketch um the only person who makes me kind of interested is kyle mclaughlin is in it um so got me a little interested because i do love kyle mclaughlin but it looks pretty bad (laughs) Yeah, I I haven't even seen the original docuseries Tiger King. Like I I don't have Netflix. It it it's actually kind of funny how 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 many water cooler chats I can't participate in simply by not having Netflix. <laughs> but um, it's actually kind of funny the uh, the dropout. Um, I listened to the the podcast series, including the the trial uh, for that one, because that was one of those true crime I guess true crime stories that I was actively engaged in. Um, but my pick uh, was actually Kristen Wiig uh, for for uh, whatever what's her face shows how engaged I am with that particular story, uh, just because like that particular brand of awkwardness that she brings to a lot of her performances and even the the infamous voice thing seems like it would have mm-hmm. been very much uh, up her alley. But uh, I don't have Hulu, so I guess I won't be watching the the series. Nor am I all that interested, to be honest. There, there is a uh, an actual documentary film about it. I forget what it's called, but uh, that's what I, that might be an HBO original documentary as well. I have um, watched that actually. I okay. forget what it's called as well. It may also be called The Dropout. Um, there's many things that go by that title, but um, mm-hmm. that was that was good. That was well put together. There's there's many of them. There's more than one documentary, and now a docu series. Well, a dramatized. What do you what would you call that? <laughs> it's a series, is what it is. Yeah, I I I don't know the good the good word for it, I guess, because if you say it's a a fictional, like I mean, it's you don't because it happened, but it it is a fictional retelling of it, so it is kind of I don't know. Yeah, it it's not a true crime, but I will say that like last thing I'll say on the subject is um, uh, Julianne Moore in uh, HBO's The Game Changer uh, was. That was a compelling performance. I thought it was funny that I think Black Swan had come out around the same time, and I was drawing some parallels between the structure of the two films and the subject matter. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that was that was an interesting like true life event portrayed on film. Um, also, isn't there like an American Crime Story FX series or something that they put out like I think three different iterations of at this point? 
Yeah, the the first one was the OJ season, which was very good. I really liked that. And then they did also did uh, the assassination of uh, Gianni Versace. And then the third season was the uh, the Bill Clinton scandal. And I I didn't watch the third season. I don't. Maybe I'll watch it. it. Kind of. I found it hard to drum up interest in that subject matter. I guess it's a little. I don't know. But. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of them out there. Yeah, that was the Monica Lewinsky scandal and whatnot. Yeah. I I would actually watch that. Um, I don't have access to it, so I can't at the moment. But um, second second last thing I'll say on the subject, I guess, is um, I'll, I'll, maybe maybe there's something to be said for the the way that we digest information or ingest information these days. Like maybe maybe this proliferation of of narratives like narrative portrayals of true life events is like necessary because it's expected like it's it's more easily digestible than just pure facts as we were saying like like when we were talking about how certain documentaries are structured like maybe having actors and like having like a more dramatic and and three-act structure to the portrayal of a story is just how we as humans take in information better i don't yeah. know yeah <laughs> no i, I agree with that yeah i do i feel like watching either documentaries or these you know fictional retellings i definitely feel like i can digest the facts more and like obviously some of the things are you know they're playing with some of the stuff a little bit but for the most part they get the big bullet points right um and yeah it's like you might hear read a headline here and there and kind of know what's going on but when you actually sit down and watch them lay out everything that happened it certainly makes it uh you can yeah digest the info a lot easier well yeah and having it be structured in a particular way and having emotional anchors to like punctuate the important story beats or important factual imp- like beats in in the progression of the story probably aids in your ability to retain and understand things but yeah i don't know i don't know what that says about us as a species but whatever <laughs> we're not we're not here for that we're here to talk about fucking blu-rays yeah yeah <laughs> anyway uh what is my next pick so uh i'm gonna cheat as i tend to do uh, and by that i mean i'm going to share more than one uh pick at a time um and that's because these are the same fucking thing <laughs> it's it's the same thing uh made by two different production crews and with a very mm. very very different spin on on the events therein uh so i have is here this a deep impact uh armageddon situation or um it might be let me take a look at the dates because uh, i want to say that uh there was actually a gag at the end of one of these films um referencing the other one um, oh. like during the end credits of one film they actually mentioned the other one and sure enough they came out the same year and I want to say, uh, I could be having this wrong, but I have here the Go-Go Boys, uh, mm. the inside story of Canon Films, as put out by MVD on Blu-ray, and Electric Boogaloo, uh, the wild untold story of Canon Films. So you have both of these here. And what the uh, aforementioned gag that I mentioned is that in this one here, uh, during the end credits, they mentioned that over the course of 
uh, fact-finding and information gathering and interviewing for Electric Boogaloo, they discovered that the subject of the, the basically the producers of the Canon Film Group um, were were in the midst of producing their own rival documentary about the exact same subject, um, which is the story of the Canon Film Group. Uh, that was kind of their production model: was that if they if they had caught wind that someone else was doing something, they would rush out to get their in in like Deep Impact Armageddon terms to get their asteroid movie out first. Um, there's actually a film about uh, I think it's called like was it Lambada? It's the it's it's the devil's dance. It's the sensual dance of the of the of South America, where apparently within the Canon Film Group there was actually like infighting that caused them to put out rival Lambada movies, like st- like basically competing to see who could get theirs out first. Uh, very similarly, uh, Roger Corman um, rushed to get a uh, Carnosaur. Uh, also based on a book, by the way, also about dinosaurs, he rushed to get Carnosaur out before Jurassic Park um, in the hopes that people would maybe mistake his film for Steven Spielberg's or something. And as far as I know, he made money off of it. So, you know, it worked out. But anyway, these are really, really awesome documentaries. This one is far and away the better of the two, um, Electric Boogaloo, um, because it's uh, it's more genuine. <laughs> Uh, the Go-Go Boys is produced by the people who lived the story. I um, mean, it's largely just about the two the two men. Uh, what is it? Uh, Menachem Golan and uh, Yoram Globus. Uh, the two, I think they're cousins uh, from Israel. Um, this was actually produced by them. And apparently they were estranged from each other for, for decades uh, prior to the creation of this documentary. And mm. this one has a very rose-colored glasses uh, view of of the history of the Canon Film Group, whereas this one is largely compiled uh, from interviews with the actors and, and directors and, and production crew that worked on the films rather than the producers themselves. Um, and it's a it's a more honest appraisal of of how things unfolded for the Canon Film Group uh, at, during its existence and during its heyday. Um, relentlessly entertaining this one is uh largely bolstered by you know the endless clips from the canon films uh from again from their heyday um and it's just an interesting uh time in in cinematic history where you had you had these these crazy guys from israel that would scrabble together the funds to to rush out these films and they didn't really have the best business sense they were just fast and cheap um, and it worked for them for a really long time until it didn't. Um, and I, I want to say that similar to like the like white collar true crime stuff, like there there is a certain appeal to that that very similar to my attachment to Tim Burton's Ed Wood. For some reason, that's maybe from an American standpoint, especially that's a very the hustle is is something that we appreciate when it doesn't affect us. Where it's like you know, like th- those guys were kind of rotten, but you know they tried real hard and and they did some shit. It's like, I'm really glad that my life wasn't ruined by them. If it was, maybe I wouldn't have the same positive opinion of them. But like just, just to see them take like swing for the fences and, and fall flat on their face eventually uh, makes for compelling drama. Um, and as a result, they're both very good documentaries. I would give the edge to this one for sure. Um, it has the right tone. It has the right energy. This one is kind of schmaltzy at times, for, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. Um, 
but it's it's not without merit like it does have some things going for it but it, it's slightly dishonest um in that they gloss over some of the uglier aspects of, of the business um but very very fun one-two punch if you're at all interested in the history of canon films yeah i think i remember we talked about that on one of the blu-ray episodes when uh i'm, I'm assuming it was well the the blu-ray the M- mvd rewind uh film the gogo boys came out um yeah I, I don't know a ton about canon films to be honest so i i would be interested in watching those just to you know get the information well, Brad, I hate to say it, but um, I think Electric Boogaloo is only available on DVD. Yeesh, and we know how you feel about that. <laughs> is it available to rent uh, or stream anywhere? Uh, I bet you it is. In fact, I'm going to look it up for you right now because um, it, it's very, very good. It's a very, uh, it's a, it's a good entertainment um, documentary where it's like. The information's there, don't get me wrong, but on the whole, you watch it because it's fun. Like, it's a fun watch. Uh, In fact, I watched it with a friend who, like you, didn't really know anything about canon films, um, and they got a kick out of it. They just enjoyed watching the damn thing. Um, Yeah, let me see if I uh, can find... Yeah, because, yeah, I'd, I'd like to check that out, and that is interesting, the idea of the one having the rose-colored glasses because it's got the guys, you know, coming from them, essentially. Because, uh, yeah, like, a lot of times, yeah, if you go in and uh, it's like, what, the Michael Jordan uh, documentary, The Last Dance, he, he had, I think he had final, uh, final say over certain things, so they might have, uh, you know, rough, like, his rough edges, they might have uh, smoothed them out a little bit. Like, they still, I think they still do a pretty good job at, painting him on both sides but uh yeah when you know your subject matter says i'm only gonna do this if i get to say what is in it and you know that that does uh create some issues there yeah it it complicates things when when the people when the subject of the documentary is the one paying for it like you can't get a 100 percent honest product like it, it just doesn't happen because films aren't cheap um and if you are the person financing the thing that means that you're probably wanting to make some money off of it. Um, and also you don't want to completely destroy your public reputation while you're at it. Those things usually don't go hand in hand. So yeah, it's hard to get an, an honest uh, documentary out of a self-financed thing. But um, I will say uh, Mark Hartley as the director of Electric Boogaloo. And um, there is a documentary of his uh, that has a very similar title uh, from 2008 that I've always wanted to see. I think I saw it uh, at my local used media store, Owls, on the Ave in the U District out here in Seattle, um, called a Not Quite Hollywood, colon, The Wild Untold Story of Ozploitation. Uh, it's mm. about Australian exploitation cinema, and I've heard very, very good things about it. Um, when it when it initially came out in 2008, I never forgot about it, but I still haven't seen it. But um, very much something I'd like to check out. Because that's something I don't know shit about, aside from like Mad Max and a couple other movies from the from the day. Yeah, I, I'd I'd be really interested in that subject matter. Like, yeah, that's the thing. I like sometimes you just documentaries are great because they just help you learn about the world, isn't that? I mean, isn't that yeah, great? Yeah, it. I mean, I, I, 
I'm in a, a really great position when it comes to the way documentaries are, are released these days. Because like I said, there's a lot of crowdfunded documentaries and there's a lot of small production houses putting putting out like very, very, very niche subject documentaries that if you hunt it down, if, if you're on the prowl for these things, you can find it. Um, only thing is you have to be interested in those sorts of things. Um, and in my case... There's a lot of shit out there that like I'm uniquely interested in, so it's a it's a fun time to be me, I guess, when it comes to like documentary viewing. Like there's, uh, I can think of two Kickstarters right now uh, that I I'm on the verge of paying into. One of which I already did, uh, In Search of Darkness Three, uh, which I think they're probably going to be shipping those discs soon. Uh, but then there's also the uh, In Search of Tomorrow uh, documentary, which. Uh, based on the title and the subject matter i have to assume is somehow connected like maybe same producers or same uh, director uh, which is about 80s sci-fi films that's also one that i'm that's a subject i'm interested in um, and there's a couple other documentaries that i have sitting just over here that I, I might bring up here in just a minute but yeah a really really interesting environment it's like if you got it you got to put in the legwork to find these things but there there's a lot of interesting stuff out there right now yeah i mean i would I, i'm not 100 percent sure on this but i would pretty uh pretty uh assuredly assume that there are more documentaries out there than ever before these days well and one one thing that we haven't brought up is youtube uh which is just a wash with with like homemade like basically just like assembled on Mo windows movie maker Mm -hmm. uh, documentaries about whatever the fuck, fuck subject you can imagine that they're not classified as documentaries because they exist only on that platform um, and they're free like available to the public free but when you really think about it, it's like actually yeah that like that high school kid or whatever did make a documentary it just exists purely on youtube mm -hmm. um, so it's really fascinating like it's a very interesting media landscape that we have these days it's like yeah and going along with like the documentaries that um, we're not sure are they real are they fake I mean there's lots of those on YouTube like the video where the guy uh, crashes his plane on purpose for views classic all time classic uh, vid right there or the one where the people uh, sneak into Target and stay the night um, but then the the catch is that they make it seem like they stayed all night they actually left at uh, two a.m and left the store and came back in the morning, but just edited it. So it seemed like they stayed there all night, but uh, we know that they left because uh, the security cameras caught them leaving at 2 a.m. and they got, they got uh, arrested for it. That's some bullshit, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's, that is total fucking bullshit. Classic but, vid. Yeah, on top of that, you also have lots of uh, fake found footage documentaries and, and things like that, like basically like horror skits that get put up on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Are not advertised as as anything. Like they just exist, and if you stumble, if you're if you find the link on Reddit or whatever, you get to watch this neat little horror film that's shot as a documentary, and then it's like, oh wait, that was fabricated. Okay, sure. So yeah, very very interesting media landscape these days. It's like there's there's too much is the problem. <laughs> there's simply too much for it all to be cataloged and enjoyed by everybody. Yeah, I don't know how anybody could say they're ever bored. There's so much I know. to consume. I know it, it's disgusting. Like, I haven't, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't been bored in years. Well, some people think that's a problem, but it's it's the world we live in. It's the only one I've I've existed in since since the cradle. So yeah, yeah. oh well. Yeah. Um, 
We're not here for that, though. We're here to talk about Blu-rays. So, Brad, what's your next pick? Uh, all right, I'll do this one. Let's see. I don't know how much I'll have to say about it because I have only seen it once. And it's actually it's a, it's a two-pack, two films in one, and I've actually only seen one of the films. So maybe this is a bad pick, but whatever. Uh, this is two films from Errol Morris, who is a pretty well-known, acclaimed documentary filmmaker. Um, and I want to say it might be his first couple films. It's a Criterion Collection release. It's a two-pack of Gates of Heaven and Vernon, Florida. Um, now, Vernon, Florida is 56 minutes, so extremely short. But uh, Gates of Heaven is a film, it's a documentary uh, that is about um, a pet cemetery. In I don't know if it's in Florida or Northern California. So the, that's in Northern California, um, but it's about a pet cemetery and just the sort of eccentric people that go there, the people that run it, the people that bring their pets there, and it's kind of a you know an interesting way to look at grief and death and life through the eyes of pets and the passing of them. And uh, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I think it's definitely got the the thing of, you know, very uh, uh, interesting, unique subjects, like some really kind of uh, I don't want I don't want to say kooky because, you know, everybody loves their pets. It's sad when they die. But, you know, there's some people that maybe maybe go a little overboard, a little some some kookiness there. And I believe Vernon, Florida is kind of the same. It's a it's a look at a a small town and the, uh, you know, eccentric people that live there. Um, and you know, I think uh, with the Errol Morris films that I've seen, at, at least in these early ones, I think as his career went on, his style changed a little bit, but in these ones, he did like highlighting, like, you know, these kind of, uh, you know, eccentric people and like, you know, filming them, but not doing it in a way that was judging them. Like it's the idea of like, you know, you can film your subject matter doing goofy, crazy things and you can kind of you know, laugh with them and not make it where you're like poking fun at them and laughing at them and, you know, doing it in a mean spirited way, like kind of celebrating how, uh, how weird they are and how unique they are. And I, I think, uh, gates of heaven at least does that. And I, I believe Vernon, Florida, uh, does it a little bit as well. I, I, I would have to rewatch it, but I feel like, uh, could be, uh, Errol Morris's early films could be an inspiration on Harmony Corinne's uh, films because Harmony Corinne, even though all his films are fictional, they do have that uh, sort of uh, docu drama aspect of um, Gummo being about a small town and uh, just the weird eccentric people that live there. But another reason this is a great set to own, uh, not only because it has two films and you'll own it for years and only watch one of them, but one of the bonus features, which I have watched. And is amazing is a short film called Werner Herzog Eats His Shoe, which it was uh, it was a bet that uh, Werner Herzog had with Errol Morris. And he basically told him, like, if you, I'm not even going to try to do a Werner Herzog impression, um, my Robert Durst was so bad. But he basically said, if you make your first film, I will eat my shoe. And it is uh, it's a it's like a 20 minute uh, short film about him owning up to the bet and he eats his own shoe and uh, if you make your first film i (laughs) will eat my shoe on camera that is good that's pretty good 
um, yeah, I love Werner Herzog. I don't own any Werner Herzog documentaries, but I just love him as personality. And he's uh, a very yeah, definitely intense man, but he's also <laughs> very darkly funny. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yes, I love Werner Herzog as well. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know if Grizzly Man has a Blu-ray release because that's a great film. That if it does, I should own it. I. I've never seen it in the wild. Uh, my gut tells me probably not, but that is a very, very well put together film for sure. It's a very compelling yeah. narrative documentary. Uh, I mean, yeah, if you're thinking of like, uh, you know, great docs that deserve to be put on disc in high definition, you know, I, I would think that would be that'd be up there. I'd say at least top 100. Like, come on. Yeah, for real. No, I mean it was it was a really big deal at the time of its release, like with mainstream audiences. Yeah, like it, it made a splash for sure. You know, and it's good too. <laughs> yeah, you know, a documentary, which it's interesting that I guess with streaming it's just so different. But like back in the day, if like a movie was a documentary that you had to go to theaters to see, and people were actually going to see it, and like your average person was talking about it, like knew about it, like that's a that was a big deal. Like that, like you knew it was like big nowadays it's like you know everything is just like gets dumped on netflix or whatever or like you said there's the the kickstarter thing so it's a hard it's a high uh you know mark to get in um now it's kind of all just jumbled and I, you know i don't know if we'll ever have quite the same waves that we did back then but yeah it's it's kind of funny how like i mean you and i as podcasters know this better than most i guess <laughs> um that it's it's easier than ever to to get your thing made but it's more it becomes more and more difficult to get it seen or heard like because because there's just there's too much there's too much shit out there there's too much noise um so yeah there's there's probably a lot of documentaries that just slip through the cracks but yeah you're absolutely right like traditionally like if if a documentary was like actually getting screenings in theaters that like mainstream audiences were going to like you'd get like one a year basically if that like one every three five years or so like that's how that was the mark of like this is a quality fucking film that people need to see but Mm -hmm. um i'm so glad you you brought up the Werner herzog eats a shoe uh, because i you you had told me about that previously but i didn't know that it was part of that package and uh i've I don't remember if Kyle, my my regular co-host on Catching Up on Cinema, has seen that, uh, but I know he loves Werner Herzog, um, so I, I'll have to turn him on to that. Um, if it's if it's on the Criterion channel, which it very well may be. It might be, I, yeah. I have noticed that they do put supplements, like they do put special features up on there, like from their discs, so maybe that's on there. I'll have to point him towards that, because that even more so than the the two documentaries you mentioned like that is something i need to see and he does as well yeah that was that was definitely a selling point uh for purchasing this uh this set from criterion because that was uh that was something i'd heard about and wanted to see for sure that's an interesting subject though where i i feel like i feel like i'd be ill equipped to to cut together a documentary of that sort because editing is very 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 powerful like there's some people that think like a a film isn't a film until it's been edited like until it's gone through the editing process it's not yet a a piece of a piece of film um and just the the sheer power that uh, like the timing of a certain edit uh, can 
impart to a scene uh, in a film is incredible. And and for me, dealing with a quote kooky cast of characters, fighting the temptation of like taking the biggest steaming shit on them through the power of like comedic timing and editing mm-hmm. would be it would be a temptation I wouldn't be able to fight. Like I. I like to think of myself as an open-minded and kind-hearted person, but I mean, Brad, you've seen it. I've done it to you. <laughs> like, like, like unfavorable edits <laughs> to, like make you look bad. No, I love it. I think it makes me look better. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Is like it's because I think you and I both have a self-deprecating sense of humor. But like when it comes to documenting subjects like that, where in order for it to work, you need to express like some manner of respect or affection for the subjects mm-hmm. i don't think i personally would be able to to navigate that territory yeah. i feel like it, i'd just unintentionally be making fun of them via the filmmaking at every turn yeah i mean it's interesting and like even going along like yeah you could be great at you know you could know how to shoot a film you could know how to edit a film you could know how to light but like one thing that i think uh, a lot of you know, documentarians that is a valuable skill that maybe gets overlooked is their ability to interview people and get people to open up because yes. if you come across as a, as a prick, you're probably not going to get the people talking to you in the way somebody who is uh, very empathetic would. So that's definitely something that we don't really get to see unless it's a film where the uh, filmmaker inserts himself into it. Um, but that's definitely something that's very important when it comes to making docs. Yeah, spoiler alert, um, there's a sequence in Kung Fu Elliot where the subject, Kung Fu Elliot, uh, threatens to, quote, pound the director of the film. <laughs> <laughs> he attempts to assault the cameraman and the and the director. Yeah, It's yeah. pretty great. <laughs> yeah. His, his friendly Canadian accent yelling, like, I'm going to pound you, motherfucker. <laughs> it's just like, I'm sorry, that's so unthreatening. <laughs> Uh, that's great yeah you're absolutely you're absolutely right though like it it is a unique skill set like in order to facilitate like obtaining the footage uh that they they get for the end product like we're we're usually not privy uh to the details of it but you really do have to be able to to communicate with people and get them to open up in order to get the material that you ultimately get for the finished film yeah i mean the the jinx that i just talked about is a perfect example where the oh, the director, shit, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he like the guy literally was confessing. Basically, I mean, didn't quite get there, but like was basically, you know, talking about these murders he committed to this guy because he trusted him so much. And it's like, wow, that's like insane. And it almost feels like in the last uh, episode of that where he like actually confronts Robert Durst and points out this evidence, and it almost feels it's you're almost just like. Like, it's a crazy moment, but you almost feel kind of awkward because it's like, you know, that like Robert Durst has like trusted this guy. And it's like at the end of the day, he's like, yeah, well, sorry, Robert, uh, this is not looking too good for you. Yeah, that I really do need to check HBO, see if it's still on there, because I really would like to watch that one, especially especially because I already had the ending spoiled all those years ago. It's just like, fuck it. I, I, I need I got to know. I got to see the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I suppose the pick is to me. Uh, okay. Uh, I have too many docs, Brad. <laughs> I'm jealous. So, I feel like I'm 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 slacking over here. 
I feel like during the speed round, I'm probably going to end up throwing up ones that are infinitely more interesting than the ones that I'm <laughs> spotlighting for whatever reason. So, like, I guess I suck. But, um, okay, so I I, uh, I have here uh, one of two Draft House Films discs I have. Uh, I think the other one is The World of Kanako, uh, which is a very intense, very crazy Japanese film that's uh, very, very good, but... Uh, Kyle gave it a, a strong downvote when it came to potential episodes. He was like, mm. fuck that. We're not talking about that. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, but anyway, I have here Raiders. Ah. The story of the greatest fan film ever made. Not sure if that's true anymore, but uh, <laughs> still a compelling story. Uh, so if you're not aware, folks at home, uh, Brad, by his, ah, uh, he exhibited just then, tells me he is aware. Uh, I have seen folks this one. If you're not aware, folks, uh, this is the story of a group of young men who took it upon themselves way back when uh, to start a project to do a shot-for-shot remake of Steven Spielberg's uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, which is an utterly fantastic film, certainly one worth you know remaking as a fan project. Um, but they were very, very young when they started it. Um, and this documentary uh, is assembled from clips of the making of that, uh, as well as clips from the finished product. Um, th- apparently, through like difficulties with licensing or, or something or other, I don't think they're allowed to screen the actual fan film. Um, so it's not included on this disc, which is a huge fucking bummer, uh, because to date, I have not seen it. I've, I've known about it pretty much my whole life uh, i think i heard about it via like a film magazine uh, in my teens um but yeah this is a documentary about uh the, the young men who started this project reuniting in adulthood uh to film the last sequence like like one of the only unshot sequences uh from their fan project so basically uh, over the course of the film uh that they assembled uh they age uh, from shot to shot and they shot it out of order like like you would a professional film project uh so the the final climactic sequence uh and basically the the core thread of the narrative structure of this documentary is the the plane fight and the plane explosion uh sequence uh which is what they're trying to film uh in adulthood during the the shooting of this documentary this raiders documentary but it's interesting because it's like it's already a compelling subject because this is something that, as I said, I've been aware of for a very, very long time. And apparently uh, it's it's a long heralded project that like has earned the respect of many, many people, including Steven Spielberg. Um, but at its heart, it's more just an examination of, of like two or three men uh, who started their lives doing this, pro- like starting this project um, and then had all sorts of trials and tribulations through their lives and now this is this is their attempt to like i don't know put an exclamation point at the midpoint of their lives um it's more of an examination of of people rather than like an actual like filmmaking story um it's 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 not as good as it could have been i guess um i i feel like not having the actual fan film on the disc is a huge fucking letdown um, but it, thankfully the, the life stories of the people involved is just compelling enough that it kind of works. And also we do get to see uh, the behind the scenes footage 
uh, both in their childhoods and in adulthood. Um, that is compelling. It is fascinating. Um, although at the same time, like there's this undercurrent running through the, throughout the entire documentary where it, it, there's this feeling that like, is it worth it? <laughs> like like there, there's a lot of, there's an atmosphere of doubt where it's like, uh, it almost feels like a, a documentary that like brings on feelings of introspection uh, on the part of any viewers who who may have had similar ambitions at one time or another in their life, where it's like, is is the is the juice worth the squeeze? Because in in the case of these men, it seems like it seems like maybe yes, in that their lives didn't exactly work out all that well. So like maybe this is the the way they can get the attaboy or the home run that they they really kind of need. Um, but at the same time, it's almost like a cautionary tale where it's like, this is, this is what can happen when you dump too much of yourself into a fruitless project, like into, into a fruitless endeavor. Uh, bear in mind, these words are coming from a weekly podcast. <laughs> so, so as I said, it brings on feelings of introspection on people who may have similar ambitions. So, um, I found it to have some value to it. It's not an amazing piece of filmmaking nor it is nor is it as compelling a story as i was kind of hoping it would be but it's it's neat that it exists because it's a story that i've been wanting to know about like because i i've known about the fran project since it was made or since it started anyway um and this was the best chance i had to to watch it in a non-bootleg fashion so i mm-hmm. i grabbed it it wasn't expensive or anything and now i have it on my shelf and i probably will never watch it again <laughs> yeah i uh, i watched this a while ago i'd forgotten about this uh film i was thinking like i was like did i like this or did i not and i looked it up on letterboxd and i did in fact like it i gave it a 3.5 out of 5 um so uh yeah i i definitely uh i think i liked the elements of like getting the band back together after all these years like i'm a sucker for that and uh it i mean it was because they do have like clips from the fan film in the doc right which uh yeah. yeah that that was a lot of fun just seeing that and you know, it being a film that you know very well and the recreations of that, I, I remember having a good time with that one. Yeah, no, it, part of what made it fun for me was that I, you know, I, I used to futz around with, with a camera. I, I used to do this sort of thing. Uh, in fact, I, you know, I still enjoy doing that. It's just it's harder to find opportunities to do that with people these days at being in my 30s. But like in high school, that was like my favorite thing to do with my friends was to make make short skits involving you know, barroom brawls and gun deals gone bad with, uh, my buddy had a, um, pesticide sprayer that, uh, it had a pressurized cap that you could pump up and we rigged some surgical tubing through it and, and, uh, scored holes in people's shirts. So you could, we had like air pressure squibs basically. Um, and we'd always take people into the bathroom so they could get shot because cleaning up fake blood on tile is a lot easier than cleaning it up on the rug <laughs> um, so, so like seeing seeing the footage from when they were young men uh it it was heartwarming and that's like yeah i i did that it's like yeah I, I rolled down hills for my friends it's like yeah i took stupid bumps like just just for the lols in front of a camera um so it brought me back and like like i said this is i feel like your mileage will certainly vary uh, I feel like for me personally, like the only reason it really works as well as it does is is that I can identify with the with the subjects so that it's that like I see a bit of myself in them. And 
again, it all comes back to Ed Wood um, and, and just foolish ambition where it's like, I, I do have some appreciation for people that shoot for the stars and maybe, maybe don't stick the landing, but they try it anyway. And it's, it's something that it's appreciable, I guess. Have you heard, um, this kind of reminds me of a, another documentary. It's called the Wolf Pack. No. What is that? Um, now, to, to be fair, I did look this up on Letterboxd as well, and uh, this one I only gave a 2.5 out of 5.2, but um, I don't remember why I gave it that score, so who knows? And this was a while ago. It's basically um, a movie about these six brothers who, I guess their parents are very strict in terms of letting... So they basically don't ever get to leave their home, essentially. Like, they, there's, like, times where they... Like, they're not, like, totally trapped there, but for the most part, they, they're homeschooled. They don't leave. They don't go out. They don't do anything. Just them at home, and to pass the time, they watch a lot of movies, and they do... They recreate a lot of these movies, so it's a lot of them recreating classic movies. Like, I know uh, Reservoir Dogs is a big one they do, and uh, it's kind of a film of watching them go through and recreate all these, you know, iconic movie scenes. And, uh, yeah, I, I, it definitely is an interesting, interesting concept. I don't know why I didn't, uh, give it a higher rating. I would have thought I'd give it something better, but that's one that you could maybe want to check out. Yeah. Not like now that you give me the plot rundown. I do seem to remember hearing about that. Although I want to say that there's a reason for that 2.5 because, uh, beyond like maybe catching a like a a youtube trailer or something a few years back i don't remember hearing much about it uh it sounds like it makes me think maybe i should just go watch be kind rewind instead or something (laughs) like it's probably just better (laughs) yeah i think it might be pretty maybe i'm just reading the top rated reviews on letterboxd here not saying this is my opinion but it could seems like uh, people are saying it's very surface level like it is just like Let's just like watch these kids recreate these movies and doesn't really like get into the idea of how it feels to be, you know, stuck at home. And like, you know, it doesn't actually ask them anything. It just kind of like follows them making these movies. And and that's the thing is films are very, very fragile things like just just a few subtle changes here and there. And you have the difference between an excellent and a okay or a bad film. Um, So, yeah, it sounds like maybe it could have been assembled better. And on top of that, it's like, like, are these interesting people that have been locked up in a room for all these years? Because honestly, it doesn't sound like maybe they are, especially if they didn't take the time to to put any of that into the movie. Like, maybe Mm -hmm. they just weren't all that interesting, so they just worked with what they had. Yeah. And so it ends up just being a pure concept documentary where it's like, this is a cool idea. That's all we got. <laughs> That's the thing. Sometimes you do watch some documentaries and you get to the end and you're like, I felt like they were, uh, they made this and they were kind of hoping they'd get more out of it, but they were like, well, we're already here. So we have to like kind of finish this. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure you could, there's tons of documentary filmmakers who would tell you times where they went out making a documentary and it just wasn't there. They had to, they had to abandon, they had to abandon ship, which, uh, sometimes you got to know when that's the right thing to do, I guess. Oh yeah, no, I'm sure there are mountains of footage uh, out there that never found a home, uh, where it's just like I have, a, I, I am thoroughly invested in this subject that gave me nothing over ten years. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh well. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Brad, do you want to do another round, or are you tapped out? I can do one more. It's probably going to be a quick one because I don't remember a ton from it. 
Sure. But uh, I'll mention it quick. Um, and this one did win the uh, Academy Award for Best Documentary of that year. And the only reason I know that is because there's a big banner at the top of this uh, Blu-ray. Otherwise, I wouldn't have uh, remembered that. But this one is Citizen Four, which is about Edward Snowden. And uh, at the time, now, to be fair, like, okay, this came out in 2014, 2013 or whatever. So I would imagine that maybe it's a little dated just with the, you know, what it's about. The Edward Snowden thing, you know, it's still very relevant but at the time, I think it was a lot more, you know, now we've kind of learned a lot more about, uh, you know, privacy and, you know, surveillance and stuff like that. So at the time, though, I think this w- was pretty uh, shocking and revelatory. And I think what is interesting about the film is, first of all, they actually, you know, do have Edward Snowden at the center of it, which is, you know, a pretty incredible get as a documentary filmmaker to actually have him be your subject and from what i remember i think they were kind of like interviewing him i don't know what country they were in at the time but they were interviewing him while like basically the stuff was going down about when he finally like made the news and stuff like they were there when he was making international news for the first time and you know all that stuff was coming out so it's kind of a very much like uh following him in real time reacting to it so it, it's pretty interesting film in that regard, and obviously it, it is very timely. I don't know if it might be a little dated now. I don't know, but hey, if you're going to watch this thing, make sure you pay cash. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, I do I do remember liking it. Uh, it's I've only seen it the one time, though. Yeah, I've seen it as well, uh, as well as the uh, Oliver Stone uh, Snowden film with mm. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And I think uh, Melissa Leo... Uh, plays the documentarian because oh, okay. they 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 reenact the the movie. So yeah, I, I guess they would have to. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. In in the in the hotel room, I think it's in Hong Kong. I could be wrong on that. Um, but yeah, very very good documentary. Um, as you said, a big part of what makes it so compelling is one the subject matter, especially if if you watched it when it came out, because uh, you know since then, as Brad had said, like it's old hat. It's like. People regularly cover their their webcams these days, like with like Kyle. He does that on his his laptop. He, he has like scotch tape or whatever, or masking tape on his webcam and stuff. But uh, at the time, it was revelatory. And then uh, on top of that, it has that sense of urgency. Like it feels very immediate because mm-hmm. everything is unfolding in real time in the documentary. Um, so like, there's so many dialogue sequences in in this documentary where people are scrambling to look up data on their they're like reading the news headlines on their laptops as they're like filming the fucking movie where things are happening live in front of the camera uh, it's 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 a very well put together film uh i i thoroughly enjoyed it in fact i wouldn't mind watching it again just because as a story like there's a reason why i feel like oliver stone didn't have to do a whole lot of filmmaking like for that chunk of his movie where it's just like just do what they did in the documentary. It was yeah. already interesting enough. You should have taken uh, some time away from that segment and put it towards Joseph Gordon-Levitt's accent. Um. <laughs> do you have a Do you have a Snowden? Do you ha- Do you have a Snowden impression, Brad? No, no, no. I'm not even going yeah. to attempt that. I probably do, but it would probably just evolve into Kermit the Frog. Yeah. Which, well, so it's just it's just not worth it. It's a classic thing. It's like you know, obviously, yeah, Edward Snowden. He's got a very distinct voice, but like. I don't know, did, did Joseph Gordon-Levitt really need to, like, 
go all that in on the voice. Like, I mean, he could have just talked like himself. Like, I, I don't know. There's a there's a fine line between trying to make things as like close to reality as possible and making it distracting. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I know what you mean. But yeah, like the real Edward Snowden he sounds like Carl Sagan and Kermit the Frog smashed together or something. Yeah. But by the way, the Oliver Stone movie has I think it's a. Uh, Nicholas Cage in a very small role where he's he's playing a really ordinary, very chill dude. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like, you know, he should do that more often. Like I, that's probably asking a lot of him to just to just like scale it back to the point that's like, oh, he could be anybody. <laughs> like, yeah, I remember that was a pretty low point in his career because I remember when he I never saw the movie, but I remember seeing that he was in it and being like, oh, that's good for him. He's working in an Oliver Stone movie, and uh, nowadays I'd be like. Nicholas Cage, you shouldn't be working with in an Oliver. I mean, Oliver Stone's great, but he hasn't been at the level where he used to be. Like now, now if he worked with Oliver Stone, I, I would say Nick Cage, you can pick a better project probably right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I can't really put a finger on exactly what the deal is with Oliver Stone's filmmaking. I haven't watched his his new uh, JFK thing or whatever, mm-hmm. but like, I'll I'll get off the subject. But I'll just say like when when he was hot, he was. There was a reason. Like he was very, very talented. Oh yeah. I don't know if, don't know if he still got it, but Snowden is not his best work. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't know if he still got it. Like I, I was, what was Savages? I wasn't crazy about that either. I heard that was utter sh- crap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, he's made some great. I mean, JFK really, is his, amazing. I mean, he's had a long career. His yeah. contribution is is like bona fide like like he he doesn't have anything left to prove um so we're not shit talking the guy it's just you know hasn't been great lately <laughs> jfk needs a 4k release though i tell you that much it does it really does because that's just that... another blu-ray release because that blu-ray i believe is out of print so it's like there's no like uh physical like physical media way to watch it easily yeah it it actually would be a very worthy 4k release like one because it's a it'll sell for sure like people it's got jfk on the title yeah (laughs) people from all walks of life will buy that yeah like for a variety of reasons um but on top of that it's it's a really well put together film like a lot of it is it like kind of it's typical like it, it typifies a lot of oliver stone's like trademarks especially in that era of his career where he was like he was like in the editing room with a hair fucking trigger. Like he was chopping his movies up with a fucking buzzsaw. Yeah. But it was working. Like it was, it was really working. Like, like that, that was kind of like one of his, his better efforts in that area. I, um, I, I'd say it's his best film in my, or my favorite of his, at least. I feel like platoon, uh, and wall street are my favorites personally. Um, but I, I have, I have other reasons for that. I got dad connections, like those are dad movies for me. Yeah. Um, so I could be thoroughly biased. Um, Platoon, but... I'll give you as it's it's up there. Wall Street, I I don't know, it wasn't not so much. Hey man, you got talking heads. You got cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> you got you got both of the Sheenses. No Emilio though. Yeah. Missed that missed opportunity. <laughs> but but yeah, JFK. It, it, I wouldn't. I wouldn't argue that like it objectively, it might very well be his, his best put together film. Um, but yeah, uh, that is a 4k that I would love to see someday. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I'll make my, uh, I'll make my pick quick as well. I need to watch world trade center. I've never seen that one still. 
oh hey that's a nick cage movie that's right that's right yeah <laughs> so oh connections revolutions like the the film industry is it's all handshakes man that's 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 how filmmaking is done connections revolutions yeah uh okay so i may as well end with this one uh just because no yeah we're doing this one fuck it <laughs> because this is the other subject that i have an alarming number of documentaries about uh, so one is movies about like documentaries about filmmaking uh, the other one is wrestling. <laughs> I have a lot of wrestling documentaries. Okay, I have an, I have like Ultraman levels of of like embarrassing number of documentaries about wrestling. Uh, folks at home, if you're not aware, I own far more Ultraman than any grown man should. Same goes for wrestling documentaries. Uh, so I of course have the quintessential uh, wrestling documentary, the one that kind of blew the the doors open for the for the subgenre which is a subgenre uh that would be beyond the mat mm. um so this uh brad have you seen this by the way no i i know of it by title and reputation now okay well this came out in uh i believe is the year 2000 or 1999 around there um and as far as i could tell the footage was assembled from well, i mean there's like historic footage from like the history of sports entertainment of of wrestling but um the footage captured for the documentary as far as i can tell is from like 1997 to like 1999 thereabouts um so kind of during during the quote attitude era of uh the wwf now wwe um wcw the the uh ted turner wrestling organization that was a rival to wwf at the time uh refused declined uh, to participate in the filming of the documentary um so it's somewhat unfortunate that they didn't get the big two like the the big two american uh wrestling organizations featured uh in this documentary um but this is a film by barry w blostein uh who as far as i understand is largely a writer in hollywood uh, I didn't actually bother to look up his other credits, but um, very similar to other documentaries of this vintage. Um, I'm looking at you, uh, any Michael Moore or uh, Super Size Me. Um, the documentarian himself is a little bit of a presence in the film. That's a controversial subject. I know some people really look down on documentary structured that way. It's like a it comes across as like a lower brow or like a cheaper form of edutainment, I guess, especially in the form of Morgan Spurlock. Um, Super Size Me is a well put together documentary. I've watched it numerous times. It is fun, but it does have a little bit of like a cheesy, like yeah. a little too friendly quality to it where it feels like it's talking down to you a little bit. That was another um, one, though, where that was like people went, actually went out and saw that and talked about it. Like that was another that was one of those big ones, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I didn't remember it. I didn't recall it at the time, but you're absolutely right. That was a mainstream friendly documentary, very similar to like Bowling for Columbine or uh, Fahrenheit 9-11 or any, any of the other Michael Moore documentaries of the day. And similarly, this one also came out around the same time um, and does feature the documentarian, although to a much lesser degree. He doesn't really have an on-screen presence. He's just kind of the narrator. Um, and also, like, the subject is something that he confesses at the very beginning of the film as being special to him. Like, I he was legitimately interested in wrestling and wanted to know more. Great start to a film. Anyway, uh, I said this is the quintessential 
uh, wrestling documentary because it was kind of the first. Um, and this was around the time I remember they were airing uh, TV specials uh, about magic and wrestling. Um, do you remember these at all, Brad, or are you too young? Uh, I definitely, yeah, I remember the magic ones for sure. I didn't watch yeah, much. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Where they have the masked magician who shows you how they do all the shit. Yeah. <laughs> they they show you behind the curtain how all these shitty ass magic tricks are done. Like just the shitty ones though, because you, we magicians have a code. Yeah. We don't tell just anyone this shit. So we're <laughs> only going to give you the shitty ones. And then that person, even with the mask, was probably blacklisted forever from the magic community. AKA the pickup artist community, same fucking thing. Um, and similarly, we, they also had probably inspired by this documentary, um, television specials about uh, the ins and outs of wrestling because at this time, uh, kayfabe, uh, have you ever heard that term before, Brad? I don't think so. Uh, as far as I understand, it's just pig Latin for fake, basically. Oh, okay. Uh, kayfabe, it, wrestling has an, has its own jargon. Uh, it's part of the appeal. It, it has its own secret language. Um, kayfabe is basically the the canon or the or the the reality that exists between the ropes, where every like basically it's what they say goes, and it's up to you, the audience, to go along for the ride. Because yes, it is fake, but the physicality is real. Um, so it's. It's it's this fragile thing that is a very very special thing that it's debated to this day whether or not because of the social media era like is kayfabe dead or is it alive and well and even bigger than ever because because disinformation is so easy to sow these days um, as evidenced by you know whatever the fuck you want to reference here insert reference here we're not going to get into it we're here to talk about Blu-rays <laughs> but anyway uh, this documentary uh, covers several subjects the rock actually while featured loud and proud on the cover is like this much of it but you got to sell dvds somehow Mm -hmm. Um, but mankind mick foley is one of the core subjects uh drunk terry funk is also one of the other core subjects um as is uh jake the snake roberts um who as far as i can tell uh his participation in this documentary was probably what led to the inspiration for darren aronofsky's the wrestler um and the the true life drama that unfolds in front of the camera and this is i don't care who you are like whatever your investment level is in wrestling even if you have none uh this is compelling human drama uh these are interesting people that do live interesting lives and it's it's very fascinating to watch unfold on the screen and like the jake the snake roberts stuff is heartbreaking and super fucking depressing but then uh, every time Mick Foley comes on screen with his little kids, uh, you get uh, a music cue. It's let the good times roll. And it's just him waddling around in the backyard with his kids. So it's like hard cut from Jake the Snake Roberts doing meth in the like in a in a truck stop restroom or something. Fade to black. Let the good times roll. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so it's like they they bring it back. You know, they yeah. they, they keep it moving. Um, but this is a excellent documentary. Um, and especially because of the time of its release, um, the stuff talked about in here was like super taboo, like wrestling when this came out was probably 90% real to most people. Um, but this was the one that this was kind of the, the start of people realizing like, Oh wait, it doesn't have to be real for me to be interested and enjoy it. Um, highly recommended. 
Um, if you're even if I don't care if you're interested in wrestling or not, it's just a really well put together documentary. And what's more, even though I said the documentarian does insert himself in uh, into the film occasionally as a narrator, um, his instincts uh, from an editing standpoint are rock solid. Um, he knows when to shut the fuck up and just put the camera on things and, and watch. Like it's edited with a very steady hand is what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not really much into wrestling, but you, you said it was something that even like a non-wrestling fan could get into. Like, would it make, would it turn you into a wrestling fan potentially, or is it just interesting as a film? And that would, that would probably be the extent of it for me. Um, actually, that that is a really tough question to answer. I'm glad you asked it because I I don't know if it would make a fan out of you. Um, there's a lot of personalities that would probably compel you to want to learn more about. Um, there's a chapter of the documentary devoted to Paul Heyman um, when he was in the midst of running ECW, um, which was like a an indie circuit of wrestling that managed to gain enough ground and and like it was a mom and pop organization. Like he he shot he shot it with with like borrowed equipment and edited the show in his mother's basement, like literally in his mother's basement. Um, it, it was a mom and pop like clown shoes organization, but somehow it, it gained an audience uh, in the Pennsylvania and, and East Coast region. And it kind of blew up to the point that it was like a little bit of a rival to the big boys. Uh, Paul Heyman is an endlessly fascinating individual and, and seeing him in front of the camera, it's like this man is at home. Like like he 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 is a consummate performer, like he is always on and and he's he's very much like a ringmaster like he he comes across as as exactly that like like a circus ringmaster of sorts um so i could see you becoming invested in some of the personalities um the product itself is actually kind of funny because they 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 don't demonize it or anything but they do really pull the curtain back and show how absolutely brutal it could be at this time because this was before we had concussion protocols and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and there's a sequence where Mick Foley uh, gets hit in the head with a steel chair, a, a legitimate steel chair, um, by The Rock, <laughs> uh, about 20 times consecutively. Um, and he is severely concussed uh, in front of his kids. Um, and it, it's it's horrendous. Uh, these days, um, they actually don't even allow chair shots to the head. They still hit each other with chairs, but it's only to the back and the stomach. Yeah. Um, because we know things about about the human body that we didn't know back then. And also this was during the, the Monday Night War when uh, it was sink or swim. It was either WCW or WWF. Only one, there, there can be only one. <laughs> it's like, like it, it was Highlander, basically. There could only be one organization. So uh, in terms of getting ratings these guys were willing to to die on camera. In fact, at least one person did. Uh, it was an accident, but they were willing to bleed uh, for ratings in this in this era. So yeah. it, I don't know if that would make you a fan of it, but it does it like in terms of revealing like some of the reality behind the manufacturing of the product back then, it, it really does give a, a a very honest appraisal of it. Yeah, no, it it does sound interesting. Um, and I had just recently uh, thought of this film, um, and I was like, why, why, why was that recently on my on the brain? It's because when I saw the new Jackass, I looked up Johnny Knoxville, and yeah. um, uh, the Johnny Knoxville film, The Ringer, is directed by the same guy who directed this one. 
Really? Um, yeah. Which uh, the, I guess the guy I was just looking him up here. I guess he's mostly a writer. Like he's written a bunch of Eddie Murphy movies. Yeah, I, I, he mentions at the beginning of the documentary that he's largely a writer. I, like I said, it didn't look up his work, but um, that's funny that he made The Ringer. That is that movie okay to talk about anymore? Brad? I don't know. I, I don't either. But I, I enjoyed it. At the I, time. Yeah, I, I remember at the time liking it. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it is very empathetic. Uh, you know, towards that community, and I. Um, I think there might be a couple actors in there who are pretending, if you know what I mean. I that probably so. wouldn't fly, but there are some actors who are, um, like you know, special needs and whatever, and th- like that's cool. Act, you know, representation, casting them, and um, but who's the one guy? Yeah, with the one guy in it. I was just look. I was just curious about that movie because I was thinking the same thing. Like, would that fly? And I looked up one of the actors. It's uh has gone on to just like, you know, act in a bunch of other stuff and I'm like, yeah, he would he wouldn't be in this if it was made today. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. That that's the part that like actually the portrayal of of those people, like there's the one actor with Downs that I've seen him in other movies. He's fucking hilarious in it. Mm-hmm. Um and and the portrayal of all those characters is largely positive. Like like they do oftentimes put Johnny Knoxville in his place very early on in the film as well, but uh, some of the other casting, though, it's like, oh, well, I don't know. I, I don't know if this is OK anymore, guys. But Brian Cox is excellent in that movie, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that that movie definitely wouldn't get a wouldn't get made today. Uh, you know, they definitely no. not with not with uh, Catherine Heigl in it, at least. Zing. Yeah. What the fuck is she doing these days? <laughs> uh, um, Netflix. She got a Netflix it's kind show. Of, I mean, I'm sure. Yeah. I, I could totally see that actually, but uh, it's actually funny you bring up Johnny Knoxville because uh, I th- I don't know if he's scheduled to be at WrestleMania this year, uh, next month in fact, but uh, he was at the Royal Rumble this year, mm. uh, so his connection to the the wrestling world is alive and well uh, as of 2022. Um, but yeah, uh, highly recommended. Um, excellent documentary. Yeah, it sounds good. 100% compelling, regardless of whether you're a fan of the material or not, but. Um, anyway, Brad, I think that's enough picks uh, from one evening. But uh, you want to wrap things up with a speed round? Yeah, and I, I've only got a couple here, um, and uh, two of them I've actually I know I've talked about. But uh, just quick mention, of course, uh, the act of killing, which we already talked about. Just a phenomenal film. Uh, does the draft house release does contain two versions, the extended version, uh, which I have not seen. So maybe next time I watch it, I'll watch that. Um, this next one here is a film that I'm a little ashamed that I haven't watched. Um, I mentioned, uh, I think it was, yeah, I think it was, uh, maybe two episodes ago when we did TV. Um, the one, uh, podcast host that I, uh, enjoy, who is also a documentarian, did Cursed Films. Um, he also has done a couple features and, um, I own one of his features, have not watched it. But I did buy it directly from him, which is cool. And it is called How to Build a Time Machine. And it's a look at, um, well, I guess I haven't seen it. But one guy (laughs) is, from what I understand, it's uh, one guy who is trying to build a replica of the, like, H.G. Wells time machine. And one guy is actually trying to build a real time machine. And um, look at them, and they're kind of like, you know, why they're doing this and a look at their eccentric personalities. Uh, one great thing about this is you notice the clear case 
uh, way back when this movie came out and it was trying to come out on Blu-ray. This was a point of contention that he brought up in several episodes where he uh, had to work real hard to make sure this got a clear case because uh, wh- whoever he was, you know, getting the Blu-ray pressed and distributed through, uh, he would contact them and say, oh, you know, I want a clear case. And they're like, well, you want a Criterion case? And he's like, no, I want, I just want a regular Blu-ray cl- case, but clear. And apparently, like, whoever he was working with didn't even think that was a thing. And it, whole thing, but it does look nice. So I need, I need to watch this someday. So don't, uh, don't do any tagging of him to uh, say that I haven't watched his film until... Let's keep let's keep him out of the out of the dark on that one. Are we allowed to say his name? Uh, Jay Cheel is his name. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. thank you. But don't <laughs> don't tag don't tag me. I don't want. I'm him. not gonna tag him, Brad. <laughs> I mean, he got my money. He probably doesn't give a shit. But anyway, I'm totally um, gonna tag him. <laughs> um, but uh, and the last one is uh, I know I talked about it. The Thin Blue Line, another Errol Morris film, but great. Uh, you know, piece of uh, true crime, piece of justice. Uh, awesome film. So that's all now I'm got. curious. Now I'm curious if I should check out Errol Morris as a filmmaker because I, I want to say I haven't seen any of his work, but maybe I have. He's done, uh, I'm trying to think what his, some of his recent films are. Um, he's definitely, you know, he's definitely up there. Uh, I think he did that Donald Rumsfeld documentary. Uh, is it? Um, I can't remember. I'll look, I'll look it up. He, he did well, the Netflix series. Well, you don't have Netflix, but he did Wormwood, the uh, the MK Ultra, uh, half documentary, half fiction, like half recreation with Peter Sarsgaard. There's a uh, there's like a post apocalyptic like action horror movie I think called Wormwood that I've I think it has a sequel coming out soon that I've like the cover art has always been compelling to me. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched it. Have, do you know what I'm talking about, Brad? Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. D- different wormwood, different wormwood. I, I, I would hope so, but <laughs> yeah. Um, I believe the the Donald Rumsfeld documentary he did is called "The Unknown Known," and uh, okay, I think when that came out, it was a pretty, pretty well received documentary. But anyway, okay, okay. Well, this is because I have an absurd number of picks. I like literally pulled every documentary I have off the shelf just. I had time. What, what can I say? <laughs> um, but I'm going to start things off with the, the stack of wrestling picks because the people have to know how absurd this is. I, I didn't know until I pulled them off the shelf. Wow. Uh, so <gasps> I have The Self-Destruction of the Ultimate Warrior, uh, which is a fascinating documentary because um, it completely shits on The Ultimate Warrior, on Jim Helwig, but... In recent years, because of his untimely passing, um, he, as far as I know, he is not a good person, nor nor was he ever. But because he died in like his fifties, uh, the company's uh, perception of him has since like done a complete one eighty, and now they're super pro warrior. But when this came out, this is this is completely just a burial of him like this is just a series of interviews completely shitting on the man and then when he died like a decade later they're like oh no we love the ultimate war he was the best we all thought he was the greatest so this is an interesting historical like artifact and it's also fucking hilarious um ricky steamboat uh also awesome wrestler um 
I think he might be Japanese. Japanese American for sure. I think he's from Michigan. Hmm. Um, excellent wrestler from the 80s. Uh, I think he suffered a back injury in the 90s, so his career came to an unexpected end. But he did have a showing uh, in the 2000s that like he still kind of had it, but really talented in-ring performer, not especially amazing on the mic. Uh, Viva la Raza, the Eddie Guerrero story. Uh, he also died young, uh, very unfortunate because he was at the peak of his powers. He had recently won his like world championship and then I think uh, car accident maybe. Um, One-two punch of the rise and fall of WCW and ECW, those two other companies I mentioned um, that were kind of rivals to the WWF. Um, the Rock documentary, The Stone Cold documentary, the Triple H documentary, the Daniel Bryan documentary, also uh, known as a Bryan Danielson now for AEW. He's from Aberdeen, uh, Washington, so he's a local boy for me. Um, the CM Punk documentary, also known as CM Punk currently in a AEW. Um, the Paul Heyman documentary, who, as I said, was the person who ran ECW, and he's currently a manager in the WWF. This is actually one of the better ones, um, mm. just because he's he is he is an amazing interview. Yeah, if you put if you put him in front of a camera and a, and give him a mic, he just he just goes. It's incredible. Uh, the Shield documentary, which is a, a stable uh, that has since disbanded. The Shawn Michaels WrestleMania compilation, which has some documentary footage in it, but it's mostly just matches. Um, greatest rivalry is Shawn Michaels versus Bret the Hitman Hart. Um, both of these guys are my probably my favorites of all time. And this this is really incredible because it's, uh, it's basically an extended interview between these two men who for decades absolutely real life hated each other and completely avoided each other again for decades it's it's like a sit-down interview as opposed to like a uh extensive documentary although it does cover both of their careers in depth and then the true story of wrestlemania which is a documentary about the history of that event which is happening next month um wow that's that's impressive that's a lot there's probably more uh um, uh, i did mention the in search of darkness documentaries um one and two three is not out yet um in search of the last action heroes which um this is this is a uh, oliver harper documentary he's the one that is uh, currently working on the street fighter 2 documentary this is about 80s action films um doomed the uh untold story of roger corman's the fantastic four mm. um are you aware of this project brad uh yeah i've heard of it yeah this is a really solid documentary, although it comes in one of those hideous uh, unofficial Blu-ray boxes where mm. you can see the font is not the official Sony font. Yeah. Um, and it's, like, too thick. Um, really, really solid documentary, though, about the that ill-fated uh, film. The Death of Superman Lives, uh, What Happened. Uh, we Kyle and I did a full episode on this. Um, Crystal Lake Memories, uh, the, like... I forget how many hours long this is, but it's about the Friday the 13th franchise. I actually have the Nightmare on Elm Street one, uh, Never Sleep Again. But a friend of mine borrowed it and didn't return it, so I'm kind of salty about that. <laughs> yeah. um.
Gorilla Interrupted uh, is not uh, a documentary, but there is a special feature on here called How Not to Make a Movie, The Making of Gorilla Interrupted, which is a retrospective review slash documentary of the making of Gorilla Interrupted. Uh, this is the Red Letter Media guys. Okay. Um, and this is a movie that they made when they were in their teens or their early 20s. It's fucking terrible. <laughs> and they gave it the George Lucas special edition treatment just for funsies. But the documentary uh, is is wonderful. Uh, it's, it's a very honest uh, retrospective on their shitty film. <laughs> uh, American movie. One of my favorite movies ever. One of the best movies about making movies that, that's, ever. That's, I gotta put that, should be, that needs to be at the top of my list. I still need top to see that. List. Uh, top Knot Detective. Uh, this is a fake documentary, um, but it's terrific. It's an Australian uh, fake documentary about a fictional television show. Not for resale. This was a uh, Kickstarter uh, that I paid into, um, largely because one of the interview subjects uh, owns a, a used video game store that I frequent. Mm. Like I go, I go to it a couple times a month <laughs> um, and I see them regularly and they're in this documentary as a as a chief interview subject this is about uh, retro retro video games and uh, collecting of video games which is a thing that I'm into um, King of Kong one of the better narrative documentaries out there this plays out like a sports drama about Donkey Kong Helvetica this is a documentary about a font uh, some would say one of the most versatile fonts uh, it's good <laughs> it's uh bigger stronger faster uh this is a uh, documentary about uh performance enhancement um not just in sports but just in all areas of life very fascinating um not sure how relevant it is today um but i showed this to my my uh, my girlfriend and she she had thoughts about it she was like i don't know how i feel about this stuff anymore <laughs> so interesting um So many more. <laughs> uh, Apocalypse Now on 4K. This includes Hearts of Darkness, which, again, we did a full-length episode on uh, for Catching Up on Cinema. Really awesome documentary. Uh, in fact, I feel like I'd more readily watch that than the film itself, honestly. Uh, Memory, The Origin of Alien. Um, I have not watched this yet, but my brother got it for me as a gift, and this is a... Uh, documentary about the making of ridley scott's alien that I'd very much like to watch uh, ray harryhausen special effects titan this is a documentary about ray harryhausen the special effects titan uh, he's a uh, one of the foremost uh stop mo stop motion artists um in hollywood um this is this was very special to me because i i've always loved stop motion and him in particular hodorowsky's dune uh, made a lot of waves a few years ago it's very, very good. Um, the Haunted World of Edward D. Wood Jr. Mm -hmm. uh, this was an impulse buy that was, didn't exactly pay off. It's not amazing, but it's it gives you some insight into Ed Wood and his his upbringing and his 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 true life story. It's all right. It's not amazing. Um, I am Chris Farley. Uh, this <laughs> this is a documentary about the life and times of the late Chris Farley. I miss this guy pretty much every day in my life. I quote this man pretty much every day in my life. And apparently this Blu-ray, it goes for a hefty price these days. So oh. I may end up selling it. But um, it's it's it kind of breaks your heart. 
Uh, yeah. It makes you miss the guy over and over and over again. This this was something that I, I caught wind. I was lucky enough to catch wind of um, a long time ago. So I ran out and grabbed it as soon as I could. It, it's a good watch. Um, Mifune, The Last Samurai. This kind of sucks. It's not great. It, it's not it's not especially thorough. It's about Toshiro Mifune, who's one of one of the most amazing Japanese actors in history, if you ask me. Uh, it's narrated by Keanu Reeves, who should not narrate film. <laughs> I love yeah. Keanu. I love Keanu, but no, uh, that's not a voice you want to live with for two hours. Um, and then finally, Overnight, which is yet another documentary that we talked about on Catching Up on Cinema. We did a whole episode on this. This is about Troy Duffy and uh, holy fucking shit, this movie. <laughs> um, Troy Duffy is utterly unlikable. Um, but this is this is he's like the Steven Seagal of writers slash directors, where it's like he ha- he had a rocket strapped to his ass, and somehow he just he fucked it up. It's like how do you fuck that up? And watch the movie. <laughs> anyway, that's literally every documentary I have. <laughs> that's impressive though, man. I mean, when you suggested Docs, I was like, I mean, yeah, I can I can scrounge up a few. I've got a few, but you uh, you got a whole collection there. Yeah, I, I did not know that. Uh, I casually threw the subject out there, and then I realized, oh, shit, I got a lot of these. <laughs> yeah, good for you, man. Eh, I mean, it, it's... I like to know things, and I, 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 like, I like the things that I like, and as evidenced by the types of documentaries I have, they're all very specific subjects. Like, like I, it, I don't know if the, if the format itself is as compelling as the subjects that these these films happen to embody but i like i like these i'm glad i have them on my shelf yeah Um, but yeah thanks for bearing with me brad i know that was a lot no no i I, there's definitely a few on there that i uh need to see i mean uh, there's a lot i need to see but a lot like where i'm like oh yeah it's been on my mind to see that and that's a good reminder yeah have you seen uh overnight no i haven't okay well if I was to give you a top three, American movie, top of the list, obviously. Um, Overnight, I think, I think is it's frustrating. It's so fucking frustrating, but there's a reason why both Kyle and I are like really excited for Boondock Saints 3, and it's not because we think it's going to be good. <laughs> um, yeah. That is greenlit, by the way, as far as I understand. Like I think it's in production, or at least pre-production. Um and then, uh, what was the other one? Um, oh, Beyond the Mat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, those, I, I guess, would be my top three. Yeah, good picks right there. I mean, I haven't seen them, but I assume they're good. Yeah, no, I think they're pretty universal in their appeal, except for Overnight. That That's a movie that if I showed that to my girlfriend, she'd be like, why? <laughs> like, like, this guy sucks. Yeah. He, why did you make me sit with him for two hours? And it's like, oh, it's fascinating, though. It's like, no, he's a scumbag. He totally fucking sucks. <laughs> he's a no-talent drunk. It's like, and? <laughs> What's <Yeah>. the problem? <laughs> Well, anyway, uh, thanks for joining me, Brad. I, I always appreciate having an opportunity to talk movies with you. Uh, so thanks again for joining me to talk about some Dynamite Docs. Uh, yeah, thanks for having go, me. Yeah, man, you're always welcome. And I do owe you for, for the scheduling snafu we had. Um, but uh, it's all good. Before we, 
Uh, you say that now. No, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, that, that sounded like I was saying it, and I didn't actually. I actually do mean it. It's all good. Like, like, like I told you, it literally changed nothing for me. Okay. Well, uh, before we go though, uh, would you care to let the folks at home know where they can find you and your amazing podcast? Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's the Cinema Speak podcast. So you can find us wherever you listen to shows: iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. We're on uh, Twitter at the Cinema Speak, on Instagram as Cinema Speak Podcast, on YouTube as Cinema Speak, and you can just find us on the web at cinemaspeak.libsyn.com. Very nice. Thanks. Well said, Brad. But also, uh, I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying the uh, changes to the to the routine. Like I, you had a, you introduced a new game on one of your most recent episodes. It's uh, Icebreaker, I think you called it. Yeah. Um, I I think it I think it needs to stay, Brad. Yeah. I, I, I think that was an experiment, but I think I think it needs to stick around. That was pretty well, solid. Next time we have you on, you'll have to take the Icebreaker Challenge. <laughs> the Icebreaker Challenge. The Cinema Speak Icebreaker Challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, yeah, I'm gonna hold you to that. But um, folks at home, if you'd like to catch up on any of our uh, catching up on cinema content, you can find all of that collected on our website on catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias at catching up on cinema on the Instagram, as well as catching cinema at the Twitter. Uh, so feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Cephalopod. So fucking Google it. That being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time.